The South Carolina Gamecocks have just learned what their schedule is for the 2023 college football season. So I'm going to talk about that and more today on the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. Our Locked On Gamecocks, your daily podcast on the South Carolina Gamecocks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's show is brought to you by LinkedIn, the official college football recruiting sponsor across the Locked On College Network. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. Terms and conditions do apply. Hello, Gamecock Nation, and welcome back to the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, your show for daily headlines and potential storylines on your favorite South Carolina Gamecocks sports teams. I'm your host, as always, Andrew Lyon, and I thank you once again for making the Locked On Gamecocks podcast your first listen or watch every day. We are free and available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts daily. And if you want future notifications and alerts on the Locked On Gamecocks podcast with future shows, be sure to subscribe and click the bell on YouTube or give us a follow, again, wherever you listen to your audio podcasts daily. All right, so for today's show, I'm going to talk about South Carolina's 2023 football schedule. I'll do a quick rapid fire of all the games that they are playing and then give some of my quick initial reactions and thoughts on the schedule itself. In segments two and three of today's show, I'm going to give y'all a breakdown of the Charlotte 49ers football team heading into their matchup against the South Carolina Gamecocks this coming Wednesday night. I'll talk about some of their tendencies, what they do schematically, and some interesting notes on some players that I noticed in the game that I watched on the Charlotte 49ers. That is going to be the roadmap for today's show, so let's go on ahead and get on right into it with the news that broke just last night as South Carolina's 2023 football schedule was officially released courtesy of the SEC Network. So here is the schedule for your South Carolina Gamecocks. On September the 2nd, in week one, they will take on the North Carolina Tar Heels in a neutral site game in Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte, North Carolina. September 9th, in week two, they take on the Furman Paladins at home in Williams-Brice. Then in week three, the schedule begins to ratchet up a little bit. The Gamecocks take on the Georgia Bulldogs on the road on September the 16th. In week four, on September the 23rd, the Gamecocks come back to Williams-Brice to take on the Mississippi State Bulldogs. The next week, in week five, they take on the Tennessee Volunteers on the road in Neyland Stadium in Knoxville, Tennessee. October 7th is the Gamecocks bye week. October 14th, the following week, they will take on the Florida Gators at home. October 21st, they will take on the Missouri Tigers on the road. October 28th, the Gamecocks then have another long trip out west to take on the Texas A&M Aggies over in College Station. Then, November 4th through November the 25th, the Gamecocks' final four regular season games are all at home. November 4th, the Gamecocks take on the Jacksonville State Gamecocks and what is going to be essentially a battle of the Gamecocks there. November 11th, the Gamecocks take on the Vanderbilt Commodores. In their second to last game of the season, the Gamecocks take on the Kentucky Wildcats at home, which leads into the battle 
for the Palmetto Bowl on November the 25th, week 13, where the Gamecocks will take on their arch rivals, the Clemson Tigers, in Williams-Brice Stadium. So, a few notes to take away from this schedule. With the Mississippi State matchup, this is South Carolina's SEC West rotational opponent for the 2023 football season. This will be the first time that both of these teams have faced off against one another since 2016. The last time these two teams played was Will Muschamp's first year at South Carolina, and the Gamecocks would lose this game 27-14 in Starkville, Mississippi. Another thing to note, because the Gamecocks are playing a neutral site game in 2023, again against North Carolina Tar Heels in Week 1 in Charlotte, the Gamecocks only have four road games for this next season, which obviously is something that can be quite helpful for a team that does play in the SEC and has Clemson as their arch rivals. Another thing to take note of, there is only one stretch in the season where the Gamecocks have back-to-back road games. Those road games being the Missouri game and the Texas A&M game in weeks 8 and 9. Granted, that is going to be a lot of distance traveled for the South Carolina Gamecocks having to go all the way out west to Missouri and then, of course, to Texas the following week. But, of course, they do thankfully get a week in between both these games, so it's not like it's going to be, you know, like a professional baseball game or series where it's like, you know, they had to go from one place to another and then back. So jet lag shouldn't be too much of an issue. But nonetheless, this could potentially play a factor with both of these games. But of course, we'll see how that plays out when we cross that bridge. The toughest stretch of games on this schedule, in my opinion, is going to be weeks three through five. Once again, the Gamecocks are going to see a pretty tough little stretch in the beginning of their season. For 2023, the Gamecocks in Week 3 take on the Georgia Bulldogs on the road. Then they have to face the Mississippi State Bulldogs at home in Week 4. Then Week 5, again, they play at Tennessee. The reason why I think that this is the toughest stretch is, quite frankly, uh, because of the quality opponents for all three of these teams. All three of these teams are pretty solid overall. I know Mississippi State is a team that is not probably viewed in the highest regard by South Carolina fans overall, but make no mistake, Mississippi State has been a better team over the last 10, 15 years or so. They are led by head coach Mike Leach, who is a very solid head coach and one that has built up multiple programs that do not have the best history and maybe the most resources out of the rest of the schools in their respective conference. So Mississippi State is not a team to overlook, but of course, I do expect them to lose a ton of their starters and production from their team this current season. So I do think that could be a game South Carolina could win, especially since that's at home. But nonetheless, you can't overlook these guys. The Georgia Bulldogs, I don't really need to say a whole lot about them after what happened this past weekend. Georgia just continues to find ways to reload. Um, In my opinion right now, they're well on their way to be the next Alabama dynasty. They had that much potential with the coaching staff and the players that they are bringing into Athens year in and year out. And then September the 30th, the Tennessee Volunteers on the road. Obviously, the fact that you're playing in Neyland Stadium, you will be playing in front of 100 plus thousand people in that stadium. It is literally called, I believe, the Roman Coliseum of college football. I've been in Neyland Stadium and trust me, it gets really, really loud when the fans are in the game. So, South Carolina is going to already have a tough time dealing with that aspect, but Tennessee also looks like they are on the up and up right now. Josh Heupel, of course, he maybe saw a little bit of regression over his time at Central Florida, but at least so far at Tennessee, 
Um, he has completely rejuvenated that offense. Tennessee is scoring points left, right, and center whenever you flip the channel to the Tennessee Volunteers. And they're bringing in a lot of really good recruits right now. So this is not a game that the Gamecocks can overlook by any means. And then for the rest of these stretches, again, South Carolina's got some easier games mixed in there. In week two, of course, they have Furman at home. Furman's an FCS team. South Carolina ought to be able to name their score there. After the bye week, the Gamecocks do take on Florida and then have, of course, their road games at Missouri and at Texas A&M. I still think that Florida's got a ways to go. I don't think that they're going to get back to being the Florida that they want to be next year. If Florida's going to do well under Billy Napier, I think you'll really see it in year three, which will be in 2024. And next year, Gamecocks, again, they get them at home and they have the bye week before then, which will help them get some extra time to prepare. And Florida, of course, always has their bye week before the world's largest cocktail party in their matchup against the Georgia Bulldogs. Missouri, I just don't think Missouri is as good as a lot of these other teams in the SEC. Quite frankly, I think right now they look like they're on the downtrend. So we'll see how they look this next year. But I don't look at them as a really tough opponent, to be honest, on the schedule. Texas A&M, they're always going to be tough. But again, you look at all these other games surrounding them, Missouri, Jacksonville State, Vanderbilt. I think that weeks three through five, again, the toughest stretch by far for the Gamecocks. And last thing to know before I move on into our second segment in just a little bit. The Gamecocks are going to finish the 2023 season off with four straight home games, which I saw on the SEC Network apparently, and I did not know this. This is only the second time in program history that that has happened. Of course, anytime you get a stretch of four home games consecutively, that is rare enough in and of itself, but that usually happens for teams at the beginning of the season, not towards the end. So the Gamecocks have a very backloaded schedule in terms of being able to have their fans show up in droves for their Gamecocks in Williams-Brice Stadium. Now, in just a few moments, moving on from the schedule, I will talk about the Charlotte 49ers, the Gamecocks' upcoming opponent, and what to sort of expect from them on offense, both schematically from a tendency standpoint and a personnel standpoint as well. But before I do that, I gotta say... If you are an owner of a small business or someone that plays a big role in a small business's operation, these days every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for that small business because you want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you need to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. And myself being a recent college graduate, I've been able to stay in touch and create a network with many alumni of the University of South Carolina. When you use LinkedIn Jobs, you can create a job post in minutes to reach both your own personal network and also a worldwide professional network consisting of 810 million people. Yeah, I know, a lot of people. You can also add your job to the purple hashtag hiring frame on your profile, which helps you to find the right people that fit that job description to a T, using tools like screening questions to filter through candidates and populate the most viable choices for the position. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus other leading competitors in the industry. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates that you want to talk to faster. Did you know that every week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Why sit on the sidelines? Go post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college today. Again, that's linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply.
Welcome back to the second segment of this Wednesday edition of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, where we cover your South Carolina Gamecocks every single day. All right, so I've talked about South Carolina's 2023 football schedule and the subsequent opponents on that schedule. Now let's get back to the 2022 season and talk about their upcoming opponent in the Charlotte 49ers. Starting off with their offense, let's talk about some of the tendencies and subsequently the scheme that they seem to run. Now, I will say, Charlotte, from what I could tell in the game that they played against the Florida Atlantic Owls in week one, which was the game that I watched in order to take these notes, they ran a lot of plays out of the shotgun. And I mean a lot of plays. Like, they never run any plays under center from what I saw in that one game. They mainly run 11 personnel, which means they usually have one tight end lined up in line with the offensive line and one running back in the backfield. And it also seems like that they use more of a zone blocking scheme up front, which, again, typically means that they block more of an area and any defender that's in that area rather than everybody has one specific assignment from the beginning of a play where they have to go and find a way to get to that one particular defender. The 49ers also like to throw the ball a lot, but they also do have some success at times running the football if they really make it a point of emphasis. The reason they like to throw the football a ton is quarterback Chris Reynolds. I believe that as Shane Beamer said at his press conference yesterday afternoon, Chris Reynolds, I think, is the all-time leading passer in terms of passing yards in Charlotte 49ers history. He is also a very good athlete, and he can scramble outside of the pocket, but will always normally try to find a way to continue to look downfield and get the ball to one of his receivers that is down there. He can make throws off-platform while on the move as well. While he's certainly not like Spencer Rattler in this sense, he can spin it from different stances and from different arm angles. So the Gamecock defense definitely cannot rest on their laurels facing this quarterback in Chris Reynolds. He is a very talented quarterback for a group of five player. Uh, The Charlotte 49ers on offense at times will also try to run split back formations in the shotgun. So they'll have two running backs out there and they also do like to use motion. You will definitely see that with this formation in particular where they'll send one of their running backs out wide sort of on an orbit motion, meaning that they are really taking a decent amount of depth behind the line of scrimmage, maybe running back about five to seven yards behind the guys on that side where they could maybe get a screen Or maybe it's just to sort of be used as eye candy, get the eyes of the linebackers to look that way or maybe to shift that way and the play's actually going to the opposite side of the field. There's a lot of things that you can do with motion out of a split back shotgun formation. They will also sometimes use dual stack alignments with wide receivers where they will have a pair of wide receivers that are lined up very close to each other and almost stacked right behind one another, except for usually one of the wide receivers will be lined up a little bit staggered and just a couple yards to one side of the receiver that is on the line of scrimmage and is the front man basically in that pairing. They will do something like that and they run multiple different concepts and plays out of those kind of formations. So look for that as well. They also do sometimes like to use twin tight end sets. This is a rarity admittedly compared to the other formations and sets that I have mentioned up to this point, but they will send two tight ends out there and have them both split on either side of the line of scrimmage on either side of the offensive line, lined up in line with them, or they will sometimes put both tight ends on one side to make it a twin tight end set. So Charlotte, again, 
They're not going to try to make any bones about what their goal is offensively. They are going to try to throw the rock a lot. They will run the ball if they feel like they can have some success. And they will give you some different looks, but run the same concepts. I think that offensively, from a play calling standpoint, they do a pretty decent job of doing that, again, from what I saw against Florida Atlantic. Now, with some more specific personnel notes based on the players that I saw playing for the 49ers, wide receiver Grant Dubose seems to be their most talented wide receiver. He seems like the guy that if they're going to target someone a lot more than the others, someone that's going to maybe get the lion's share of the receptions in the passing game, Grant DuBose is that guy. He's got a pretty decent frame at wide receiver, and he's also a pretty solid route runner with decent speed. So Grant DuBose, again, against what could be a weakened South Carolina secondary based on the latest injury update from Shane Beamer. He could be a guy to watch in this football game. Their wide receiver unit as a whole, however, does have a really big issue with drops. And while some of the drops were not all on them in this game against Florida Atlantic, they did have some passes that came to them that were a little bit behind. They were a little bit inaccurate, to put it bluntly. There was a lot of times where receivers got both their hands on the ball. I mean, literally hit them right in their palms, and the guys just dropped it. I mean, this happened a lot, and the thing that was alarming to me, at least if I'm a 49ers fan, is that there were multiple wide receivers that were dropping passes like that, not just one or two guys. So drops could be an issue for this 49ers receiving core, which means Gamecock DBs, if they're right next to a guy and he happens to drop the ball, they could have a chance to get some interceptions potentially in this game off of maybe some dropped or tipped passes. Offensive line for the 49ers, they can be a little bit inconsistent with their pass protection, especially on the offensive tackles side of things, the guys on the edge of their O-line. They cannot, and I mean they cannot handle guys who have really decent speed off the edge. I saw times where their offensive tackles were going up basically against a blitzing corner from Florida Atlantic's side, and the blitzing corner literally just ran, basically ran a semi-oval path just right behind the offensive tackle, managed to easily wrap around them and get a free chance to go after their quarterback. So Jordan Birch and Gilbert Edmond, in my opinion, they ought to have a pretty decent performance in this game against these offensive tackles, especially Jordan Birch. Because if you're a player that has a decent amount of athleticism in your game, these offensive tackles don't seem to be the set of tackles that can handle that very well. So again, defensive ends and any blitzes on the edge ought to perform and do really well against the Charlotte 49ers offense on Saturday night. Now, of course, we're not just going to be looking at the offensive side of the ball for the 49ers. We've also got their defense to talk about as well. And I'll be getting into that side of the ball in just a little bit. But of course, I also need to talk to you about our friends over at Bet Online, who is also a sponsor for today's show of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. Now, Bet Online is your number one source for all of your pro and college football betting needs and sports info this season. You can find all the latest football league developments, game matchups, news, and podcasts, including this year's opening week's games. Bet Online is also your continued source for all of your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. Bet Online is simply the fastest and easiest way to check in on all of your favorite sports and events, including MLB, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action, because as always, Bet Online is where the game starts.
Welcome back to the final segment of today's show on the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast, where we cover your team every single day in just 30 minutes. All right, so I've talked about Charlotte's offense and some of the tendencies that they have, along with what they do schematically and how some of their players looked on that side of the ball. Now, let's talk about their defense real quick. From a scheme perspective, Charlotte is going to be a defense that runs multiple different fronts. They can shift between a lot of different formations. They can shift from a 3-4 formation to a nickel formation, being a 4-2-5, to even a 2-4-5 look that has only two down linemen on the line of scrimmage. Coverage-wise, they run a lot of soft zone with their defensive backfield. You're rarely going to see their secondary lineup close to the line of scrimmage and playing man-to-man coverage, and I'll get into more of the reason why in just a little bit. They also do not blitz very much in obvious passing situations, which is a little bit different from what you would usually see from a football team. But when they do blitz overall, they do normally like to bring some of their DBs in on them. That's another unique part about the Charlotte 49ers defense is they do not use a lot of linebacker blitzes sort to start and throw in DBs or really their safeties in as well. They like to use their cornerbacks a lot. They'll normally try to bring like a weak side corner from the original spot as an extra blitzer. Sometimes they'll creep up to get closer into the box. Other times they'll stay put in sort of their original original spot and then they'll try to blitz from that very point on the field all the way into the pocket. So in essence concerning the heavy usage of soft zone calls, you could see probably why they do this. They do not trust their defensive backs quite literally to be out there on islands either in one particular spot on the football field in zone coverage or quite literally when they're having to go one-on-one with an opposing wide receiver. I'll go ahead and tell you all this right now. This secondary for the Charlotte 49ers, they might be the worst secondary that South Carolina plays all season long. And I'm including South Carolina State in that regard. I mean, I literally think South Carolina State's defensive backfield could potentially be better than Charlotte's secondary. I haven't watched a single second of a South Carolina State football game. That's how bad they were. In this one game alone against the Florida Atlantic Owls, the Charlotte 49ers secondary got called for multiple pass interference calls throughout the ball game. And I watched only about three quarters. I probably saw at least four or five pass I probably saw at least four or five pass interference calls, which is a ton for one football game on one particular defense. So uh, needless to say, South Carolina's wide receivers, they should have an absolute field day against this unit. The tight ends as well in Austin Stogner and Jaheim Bell. So let's continue this conversation on their personnel on defense. Who are a couple players to watch? Well, there's two particular linebackers that I do like from the Charlotte 49ers defense. The main one is B.J. Turner, number 44 for the 49ers defense. This guy is your traditional run-stopping linebacker in the middle of a defense. This is a dude who can absolutely lay the wood on people. He uses his leverage quite well. He is a surefire tackler. He is not somebody that's going to go in there and try to arm tackle somebody. He is really good about staying in front of a running back or a ball carrier in general, getting squared up. And again, making sure he's got good leverage and bringing ball carriers down. He's also got really good awareness as well in terms of seeing where the play is going. He might not be exactly the best in terms of his coverage, but again, if there's one guy I have to point to as a guy that can kind of do it all for this 49ers defense, it would definitely be 
B.J. Turner. Just based on this game, in my opinion, he is the best player on this side of the ball for Charlotte. Prince Baymuth is the last name of one of their other linebackers. I believe his number is number 25. He's also a decent linebacker, and he is a big-time hard-hitting player as well in the second level for the 49ers. Now, Kind of like Georgia State, the 49ers defense is on the smaller side in terms of their physical presence and stature in their defensive front. So they're going to try to rely more on their speed to try and get pressure, essentially. So I don't think that these guys are probably quite as good as Georgia State in terms of being able to give themselves a lot of decent opportunities to maybe force Rattler to get out of the pocket. I will say this. I thought the 49ers defensive line, particularly the guys on the interior, did a pretty decent job of at least being able to condense the pocket. They are going to be able to squeeze the pocket down on multiple occasions in this game against South Carolina, just based on the way South Carolina's scheme is sort of set up on offense. So, in my opinion, this will still be a decent but easier litmus test for Spencer Rattler to try and sort of do a little bit better with some of the areas that he needs to improve on that so far this season, we have sort of seen him lack in. Basically, his patience in the pocket. If he needs to take more time or he gets to three seconds and he still doesn't see anyone open, does he step up in the pocket more instead of just trying to take off running laterally? How does he handle all of that in the moment? He's going to have a good opportunity in order to do that but be able to perform at a very high level against this 49ers defensive front in my mind. Interior defensive lineman number 97 for Charlotte, in my opinion, is probably the best guy in their front four when it's a four-down lineman front. He is a guy that I saw flash a lot out of this defensive line group against the Florida Atlantic Owls in this game that I watched. The last thing I will say about this defense, the Charlotte 49ers defense does seem to have some issues with outside runs. But oddly enough, when it comes to inside runs, they do way better. When basically they have strength in numbers and multiple guys who can get to the ball carrier, they do a pretty good job of condensing things down to where they can have multiple guys who will meet up, rally to the football, and get the ball carrier to the ground. But they struggle when you can get to the edge, get a couple guys out in front of the ball carrier who can act as sort of some shielding blockers who can open up some lanes for your running back. So you can probably see where I'm going with this. This would be a really good game for South Carolina's offense to try and get some runs going on the edges. The Gamecocks obviously have had a variety of struggles up to this point in the season in terms of their play on the perimeter in the run game, especially in terms of blocking. They struggled mightily against Georgia State in terms of their perimeter blocking. And against Arkansas and Georgia, we didn't see the Gamecocks really try to do a whole lot on the edges in the running game. This is a game, in my opinion, where I think you can sort of change your tune on that a little bit. I think the Gamecocks, again, should prioritize the running game more, especially early on in this game against Charlotte. But this could be a good opportunity for us to maybe try to get the run game going once again, especially on the perimeter. And, of course, I'll get into all that and more in my show on Friday. But for now, that is going to do it for today's show of the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast. I hope that y'all thoroughly enjoyed today's show as always. So what are y'all's thoughts on South Carolina's 2023 football schedule? What do you think is the toughest stretch on the schedule? And if you want to predict a record right now for 2023, what do you think it would be at this current moment and time? And plus, what are your thoughts on Charlotte's offense and defense? Is there someone that maybe you've noticed that I haven't noticed or talked about that should have been mentioned on today's show? What do you think about the way they line up on both offense and defense schematically? I want to hear all of y'all's thoughts, as always, down below in the comment section if you're watching today's show on YouTube. 
But of course, if you're listening to today's show on an audio podcast app, wherever you get your podcasts daily, you can also feel free to shoot me a message at A-Line underscore SC on Twitter, and I'll be sure to respond to any replies or comments that you have for me as quickly as I see them. And of course, with the schedule release that we saw yesterday, South Carolina was not the only team that saw their 2023 schedule get released. All 14 SEC teams got their 2023 schedules. If you want to find out about all of that and more, maybe what those fan bases are thinking about the opponents that they've got to play, go check out Chris Gordy over on the Locked On SEC podcast where he takes you across the entire conference in just 30 minutes with the local experts of Locked On who cover the SEC. So again, make Locked On SEC your second listen every day after, of course, the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. But once again, y'all, that's going to do it for me on today's show. I hope that y'all have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll catch y'all on the next show of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast.